You're listening to The Sigrun Show, episode number 350. In this episode, I talk to Tom and Ariana Sylvester about how to become financially free by 35. Welcome to The Sigrun Show. I'm your host, Sigrun, creator of Samba, the MBA program for online entrepreneurs. With each episode, I'll share with you inspiring case studies and interviews to help you achieve your dreams and turn your passion into profits. Thank you for spending time with me today. Building an online business takes time. I share with you proven strategies to help you get there faster. You'll also learn how to master your mindset, up-level your marketing, and succeed with masterminds. In today's episode, I speak with Ariana and Tom Sylvester, who help their clients create financial freedom through entrepreneurship. After building three very different businesses and working together as a married couple raising two children, they have founded Lifestyle Builders, a movement that provides a framework on how to successfully do business and life together. Before we dive in, I want to tell you more about my biggest and boldest project to date. Everything is coming together for the Self-Made Summit that will be held in Reykjavik, Iceland, June 18th to 19th. 2020. Planning a conference is a totally new experience for me. It is scary and exciting at the same time. All kinds of self-doubts and self-sabotage has creeped up in the last 12 months. I'm definitely upper limiting through this whole experience. But with a great team, coaches and masterminds, it is all starting to fall into place. After attending dozens of business conferences over the last six years, I decided to create a conference like no other, something that doesn't exist. For those of you who have also attended gazillion conferences, just imagine if Nordic Business Forum married Tony Robbins. Now, that is of course unimaginable, but that's what you will experience in Iceland. I basically asked myself three questions. Why should attendees want to come? How do I want attendees to feel? What do I want attendees to walk away with? So why should you attend? I always want to come to Iceland. It's the first thing I hear when I tell someone outside Iceland about my upcoming conference. And now I have a reason and it's a business expense is the next sentence I hear. If you have always wanted to go to Iceland or you want to come again, then this is a reason enough to go. From London, it's only two and a half hour flight and from New York, only five hours. End of June is the best time to visit Iceland because it has 24 hours of daylight. That's why you should also seriously consider staying a few more days in Iceland if you can, and even better, take your friends and or family members with you. If you want a massive breakthrough in your business, learn from the best in the world, connect with other female entrepreneurs who totally get you, and walk away with a plan that you can put into action as soon as you get back, then this is also a reason enough to go. Plus, you're going to have memories for life and be a part of a movement to accelerate gender equality through female entrepreneurship. Basically, business breakthroughs and breathtaking landscapes are absolutely guaranteed. So what will you experience? You're going to feel inspired from the day you arrive until the day you leave Iceland. 12 amazing speakers from all over the world are going to knock your socks off. 
These self-made seven-figure women are going to tell you exactly what they did to build their successful lives and businesses. And you are going to be able to do it too. With a wide range of speakers, we are going to cover a variety of topics that will help you propel your business and life to the next level. Besides an amazing speaker lineup, there will be ample opportunity to meet and get to know other entrepreneurs from all over the world. Among over 1,000 women, there will be more than one who totally gets you and feels like a sister from another mother. Iceland will not leave you untouched. With 24-hour daylight, you will not want to go to bed. But at some point, you also need your sleep. But you will dream of geysers, waterfalls, sheep, and horses. By the end, you'll become what we call an Iceland fan, which is a person that raves about Iceland and wants to come again and again and again. So what will you walk away with? Iceland has this magical way of making you feel that anything is possible because that's literally how we Icelanders think every single day. And we're gonna leave you with this feeling, anything is possible. Just with that feeling, you can literally achieve anything. But feeling isn't enough for everyone and that's why you will also walk away with a plan, a brand new blueprint on how to achieve your version of anything is possible, whatever it is, the self-made blueprint. So now you know why you should come what you will experience and what you will walk away with. If you haven't gotten your ticket yet, then it's time to secure your ticket. Super Early Bird sold out in 48 hours and now Early Bird tickets are available. There is very limited number of VIP tickets left. Go to the show notes at sigrid.com forward slash 350 where you can find out more about the Selfmade Summit and secure your Early Bird ticket plus all the links to Tom and Ariana Sylvester. I am so excited to be here with Ariana and Tom Sylvester to talk about how to be financially free by 35 and a lot of other things. So thank you for coming on the show, Ariana and Tom. Thank you so much for having us. We're so excited. Absolutely. It's been a while since we've seen you last. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited. I'm here sitting in a a hotel room in LA with my foot up, Uh, just injured it and I know we had moved this interview, so I'm glad we're finally doing it because your book is already out. Yay! Yay! (laughs) It's out. It's been birthed into the world. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, because I haven't written a book yet. Well, let's say I've half written a few books, so I'm always very kind of excited to speak to people who have just written their first book. How, How was the process? The process was, it was... A learning experience, we'll say that. Sounds like there's an underlying story there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I mean, you know, writing a book is a process anyways, you know, because if anyone hasn't written a book, like you write the first draft and then you get it edited and then you go back and edit and then you're talking about cover design and there's a whole process involved. But what made it even crazier, which is what always happens with us, is because we decided to do it together, (laughs) it just makes it more complicated. So, you know, as people that know us know, we're complete opposites. So we're like, how do we write this book together and make sure that we're not confusing people as they're reading it? Because like when we're on a podcast, you can clearly tell when it's me versus when it's Ariana. In a book, that was a very different problem that we didn't experience before. So we had to basically go through some creative ways of how we write it together so that it makes sense for people. Yeah. 
yeah, it's the first time I read a book and I have like this whole prologue of it's me or Ariana and why you're writing the book together and when when should I know who is who. So that was interesting. <laughs> yeah, that was the one of the easiest ways we could figure out of, okay, how do we explain to people what the format of the book is going to look like and then just give them a little heads up about the story pieces where we each are telling it from our perspective. Um, so it just made a lot of sense to just put it right there in the beginning. Hey, this is what you're getting yourself into. So get ready. <laughs> I think that's super smart. And uh, it wasn't confusing afterwards after you explained it. So, But yeah, we've talked about a book, but people have no idea who you are, what you're doing. So I can only say that because I always love telling people how I meet the people coming on my show because probably 90% of the people that I interview have actually met. It makes it so much easier. So we met at Podcast Movement last year. Yeah. And I don't know why we started to talk. Do you remember that? <laughs> I, I think uh, Jason Brown mutually connected us, right? Yes, yes, yes. Jason Brown was with me in a mastermind. He's been on my podcast twice talking about how to start to invest into stocks and how he has his whole webinar on YouTube to mm -hmm. sell his programs. Yes. And we got connected. So you've been good friends for a long time. Yeah. yeah. J Jason and I are conference buddies. <laughs> <laughs> conference buddies. I, I think I have a lot of conference buddies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> good buddies to have. Good buddies to have. And when you launch a podcast, you go back to your conference buddies and invite them on your show. It makes sense. Exactly. Yeah, and that's Absolutely. how we exactly. Made, so. <laughs> but we need to go back because as I said, just before I hit record, I've known you now for over a year, read your social media post, I've been to your website, I knew you were writing a book, I know the name of the book, name of your company, but then I read the book, I'm like, what? This is your story? I had no idea. So now I am even more excited that you can share this with my audience. So we have to go back. What, what is the whole idea between lifestyle builders? Like how did that start from the very beginning? Yeah. So usually how this goes is I explain the story, then Ariana fills in all the gaps or things that I forgot about. Yep. I'll give you the details. <laughs> but uh, long story short, so we actually met the very first day of college. And, you know, we had the four years together. And as we were getting ready to graduate, we both had our degrees. We didn't have jobs yet. And we had a whole bunch of debt between student loans and then credit cards. And so when I started looking ahead at what the future looked like, I was like, I do not like the path we're on. I had a computer science degree and I didn't want to sit in a cubicle for the next 45 years. Ariana had a zoology degree and there were not very many jobs available. And so I just did what Ariana would call crazy. And I set a goal to have us retire by 35. I had no idea how we would make it happen, but I figured it was long enough to give us time to figure it out but short enough so that we weren't going to be missing life, you know, throughout the way. How did you come up with that? Like financially free? Did anyone around you do that? Like, where does the idea come from? Well, he read a book. Somebody gave him the book Automatic Millionaire, which talks about how to be a millionaire by the time you're 45. And of course, no, this... by, by the time you're 65. Oh, sorry, sorry, 65. So of course, he's got the gears turning in his head. And somehow that book made him realized that he could potentially find other ways to do that faster instead of having a whole life of working in a cubicle to become a millionaire after life has already happened. So he decided 
that that was going to be the goal. And he used the word retire. So back then there wasn't all this talk about financial freedom. There was no fire movement. This was kind of, he was out there with this idea. I had no idea what he was thinking. Yeah. I mean, basically what it came down to is I read the book, Young Mac Millionaire, and it said, you know, if you invest in the stock market and do it consistently for 45 years and have compound interest come in, you can become a millionaire. And I was like, you know, and I had come from a very humble background. So I was like, wow, we could actually be millionaires. And then I was like, but it's going to take 45 years. Like I'm not that patient. (laughs) And then, so I read another book that a lot of people have read called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And that completely changed my perspective on things. And I was like, oh, we can become millionaires. And if we think and do things a little bit differently, we can actually cut many years off. And then I just picked 35, I guess, out of the blue. Because you wanted a challenge, I guess. (laughs) Yes. So how many years did that mean? Was it eight or what? Uh, I was like 14. Yeah. 14 years. It was when we graduated. So So you gave yourself 14 years to figure this all out. And you did not necessarily know how to do it beyond those two books. Correct. And so then what I tried to do is I tried to look at people that were successful or in the places we wanted to be and then reverse engineer, like, how did they do it? Mm -hmm. And so I would, you know, look at the stock market and then I realized we didn't have any money. So that was going to be a challenge. (laughs) I looked at, um, you know, multi-level marketing and I was like, that's just not the, like the right business for me. Uh, I looked into buying a franchise and then realized once again, we had no money and we had no net worth. So no one was going to do that. So then I came across real estate and I was like, you know, every successful person is a real estate investor. So what if we did that? And I came across a strategy where you could buy a duplex, live in one half and rent the other half out and basically live mortgage free. So I was like, this is it. All excited. I go and tell Ariana and she's like, nope. That's a big no. Yeah. (laughs) So the challenge we kept having was every time I would try to figure out a way to do this, Ariana wasn't on board and would shut it down. And this all basically came to a head when I then heard an ad on the radio. I went to a quote unquote free real estate training. And a couple of weeks later, ended up spending $7,500 for this real estate investment training. Uh, I had to put it on two credit cards because we didn't even have that much space on one. And I did this without telling Ariana about nine months before we got married and adding on to our already... six months after we had just bought a house. Yeah. So at that point, we're $200,000 in debt, about to get married, clearly not on the same page with life or anything. And I just go and put all this extra debt on our credit card and then had to tell her about it. You think that was a good idea? (laughs) No, not at all. I would not recommend people go down that path. That's the story we use to tell people, this is what not to do. Yes. So don't, how don't did do you that. unwind this? <laughs> I'm a, obviously a very patient person because we're still married. Uh, we, we, we went through at the wedding. But for me, I think a lot of the problems came when, obviously, we talked about being different. I'm a very risk-averse person. So when we were in college, we had this whole five-year plan of like, we're going to graduate, we're going to get jobs, we're going to buy a house together, we're going to get married, we're going to have kids, you know, like that traditional path of life. And at some point, he stepped off that traditional path. He had his epiphany and was like, no, we're going to do it differently. But he kind of neglected to have the conversation with me about that and where all these crazy ideas were coming from and why he wanted to do this. So it all came to a head when he spent that money. And we had to sit down and have some really serious conversations. Like that was that was a big betrayal for me because we'd been together for so long and we'd never done anything without talking to each other first. Well, and and even as part of that, so even though Ariana says it was a big betrayal and this was obviously very challenging for us to then go through, 
what I always remind people is sometimes you need to have those events happen to push you forward. So had I not spent that money, I might have spent the next several years continuing to try this and Ariana saying no. So as, as much as this wasn't the way I would have liked it to go down, what that did was force us to really get realigned and have conversations on what we really wanted life to look like. And once we did that, then it was easier to chart a path forward and say, now that we know what we want the future to look like, what are the different ways that we could do that? And what role are we each going to play in making that happen? Yeah, I even say with clients, especially I was running a software company before, and if a client would get upset about something, this was a chance to turn things around. And off, I would say 99% of the cases, it turned out to be the best clients ever when you have a little headbutt. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it's such a great opportunity when things seem like they're going south to really step up and basically over deliver. And then you get those raving fans for life. And in this case, I was married to her. (laughs) Yeah, I like to call it a little a little wake up call, you know, because I think we do we get on this path of life and we're just kind of floating along. And it's really easy as you're floating along for you and your spouse to kind of start floating in opposite directions and you don't realize it till you get really far down the path. So for us, not that it was fun at the time, but having that really big wake up call pretty much saved our marriage and saved where we were headed because we each had to stop and say, wait a minute, what's happening here? We know we want to do this thing together. So where did we get off? How can we figure out how to get back on the page together? So you obviously got on the same page. (laughs) Otherwise, you wouldn't be sitting here and have written this book and everything. What did you decide to do then together? Yeah, so starting out, it was not together. It was basically Ariana saying, all right, we can go forward with this. I don't want to be involved, though. We decided to do life together, but not business together. Yep. And so I was like, well, I spent all this money on the credit card. I better figure out how to pay it back. Maybe I should go actually start investing in real estate. Um, So did some research. A couple months later, ended up finding and buying our first duplex. And then basically the next several years was continuing to buy real estate. And we would basically buy it when it was run down, renovate it, and then either rent it out or sell it. So we did that for several years. And then I basically realized I didn't want to have all our eggs in one basket because we started investing in real estate right after like the market crashed. And I'm like, I want to learn from the past. I don't want to be there (laughs) when it crashes again. So we then started looking, I started looking for other opportunities and there was a wine and liquor store for sale. And so years before I had actually helped my father buy a wine and liquor store. So I said, hey, we can use the knowledge we had to buy this one. That didn't work out. It wasn't a good deal. But then I had the idea. I'm like, hey, we have a real estate investing company. What if we just bought a building and opened our own store? So uh, a couple of years in, we ended up doing that and opening our second business, which was a wine and liquor store. You see the pattern? Wow, 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 wow. (laughs) We, we, We have to take a little bit slower. So how does someone buy real estate and you have so much debt and no money? Yep. So there's a lot of different ways to buy real estate, either with low cost or no money down. What we ended up doing was we found a property that was, you know, in need of repair. I actually didn't have enough money for like the closing costs and down payment. So I had to go partner with my cousin. We had to sell off some of our stuff. I had to save every little bit we could just to pay for the closing costs. So we like eked it by. In hindsight, I probably would have saved a little bit more before jumping in. 
But uh, as I usually do, I kind of jump in and figure it out along the way. (laughs) Um, So then what we ended up doing was once we had that in place, I ended up partnering with my father. And so my skill set is like in business, his skill set's actually in construction and renovation. So what we then did was took his home equity line of credit. We borrowed money to buy the first property. We then renovated it and then we refinanced it with the bank. So what we were then able to do was basically get that money back out. And then we just kept doing the same process over and over. So if you don't have money, but you're willing to put in work and effort, you can usually partner with somebody that does have money and you're basically putting your time in. So at that point, I was working a day job during the week. Nights, I was looking for properties and doing all of the business stuff. And then weekends, I was physically driving out to the properties and doing the renovations. Wow. So basically, you said you refinance. So let's say the the property is run down. So the bank thinks this is not worth a lot of money. Once mm-hmm. you've renovated it, well, the mortgage on the property can be larger. Yeah. Yep. So basically, so we- they were going to like bank floor closure auctions and things like that. So the properties were, I mean, we got so we- one property for like $4,000. It was insane. Yeah. It was huge. It was a, it's made two, three bedroom apartments. That's how big the house is. But it was so run down that nobody wanted to touch it. So they went in and were like, we'll take this one. And that's one of our most profitable properties now. Yep. So basically like on an average deal, we would buy for 20,000. We would put $20,000 in. So we have $40,000 invested and then we could go refinance it with the bank for like 70,000. So then the bank was giving us 80% of the value of that. So we might come out with like 55,000. We pay off the 40,000 we put in and then we have that 15,000 to go now buy another property. Mm. So it's like a domino effect. Once it works with the first one, you have cash for the next one, for the next one. So you're not necessarily putting new extra money into it. It's just that first one. Yep. And that's the thing. I mean, the hardest one to do with anything is the first one. Mm -hmm. Because once we went through it the first time, we're like, oh, we made mistakes. We learned from that. And then we started to put a system in place. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that, you know, I realized really quickly was I don't want to spend my weekends renovating property. You know, I don't like doing drywall and all of this. So every time we would get another house, the question I would ask is, what system can we put in place or who can we hire so I don't have to do as much? And over time, this got to the point where we ended up having a system and a team in place to where our last several properties, I didn't even walk into them. Well, it was also learning from the houses you had previously purchased and figuring out what was a better deal in the long run or what would be a more profitable house. So after the first couple, they kind of started to see a pattern with, you know, what was desirable for people looking to rent, what areas of town or what types of streets or anything like that. So they started getting really, really good at finding the best deals on those properties. Yeah, I think, I guess in the beginning, you just bought something that you thought was a good price, but Mm -hmm. it was not like analyzed how close it is to schools and grocery stores. Do people actually want to live there? Things mm-hmm. like that. So you you had a system for that later on. Exactly. And, and that's really the key thing we always tell people is like, you know, do some research, but get started because the best way to learn is to actually do it. And so you don't want to just go in blind, especially if you're going to put money into it. But you also don't want to wait years and continue learning and waiting until the time's perfect. Mm. But, you know, 4,000, 20,000, then I think of Europe and I'm currently in LA and I'm like, this is impossible in some places. 
yeah. in the world. You have to have so, the right market. Yeah. Well, and so, and, and part of that is there's a lot of different ways to invest in real estate. So people might be listening to this being like, I can't even buy a car for $4,000. How are you buying a house? <laughs> so in our market, it's a lower cost market, um, which also means it's not going to appreciate as much, right? If you're in some of those other markets, part of the way you might invest in real estate is by having to partner with somebody to bring money in. But you're also getting the benefit of probably more appreciation. You also maybe have some more risk. So there's thousands of ways to invest in real estate. So you have to know what market you're investing in, what strategies work best, and then just put a deal together that works for you. So coming to the shop. So, okay, so you have been investing in real estate and suddenly there's like this wine and liquor store. You don't buy it, but you decide to do what? Just repeating <laughs> that again, because that went too fast before. So he yeah. decided because he looked at the other store that was for sale that it wasn't a great deal, but we still loved, well, we, I say we, he still loved the idea of opening this store. So he found an empty commercial building and they purchased it with the real estate business. So it had two commercial units on the first floor and two residential units on the second floor. So they decided, well, let's buy that because we can put two commercial things. The store can go in one side, we can rent out the other, and then there's apartments upstairs. So that was where that idea was born. And that was a whole new experience because we moved from real estate to all of a sudden retail and having to get a liquor license, which in New York State is a whole story in and of itself. <laughs> and we were also, wait for it, pregnant with our first child. Oh, just a little <laughs> detail there. Small details. You know, a little extra. <laughs> no problem. So anytime someone mentions wine and liquor store, I immediately think of Gary Vee and I'm like, did you just what? start up a wine and liquor yeah. store? <laughs> well, and it's kind of funny because when I was doing research, I came across Gary V when he was making those videos for Wine Library TV. So it was before he was the Gary V that everybody knows today. So a couple of years later, someone mentioned it and I was like, oh, is that the crazy the wine, wine guy? guy? And they're like, no, he does like social media and entrepreneurship. And I'm like, no, he's the wine guy. <laughs> yeah. So obviously that was another process. You know, we bought the building. When we knew we were pregnant, we had talked about if I was going to stay at my job, if I was going to stay home with the baby. And because it was our first, we decided that we would like to have that bonding time. So I actually stayed home. I left my job when we had her, which turned out to be really beneficial for us because Tom needed a lot of help with prepping the store and getting everything ready. It took about nine months, I think, for him to get an approval for his liquor license. So we had a lot of time to make sure that the store was set up properly, laid out. We had to buy shelves. We had to buy alcohol. All of this new learning experience, which we luckily were able to lean on his dad a little bit for you know, some of the experience that they had learned in the years of owning a wine and liquor store. So what was your idea with the wine and liquor store? Like, did you think you could take out some profit? Like, what was the idea? Like, because you still had that underlying goal of financial freedom. Yeah. So where did the yeah. vinyl liquor store fit into that? Yeah. So it, really good question because from the outside, people are like, you guys are so random. You have a real estate business, you have a, <laughs> a store. Now you're like coaching entrepreneur. Like, how do you bounce around? And the goal for me was always, I want to retire by 35. And then in order to do that, we knew how much money we needed to make. So I would be looking for any opportunity that would then allow us to get cash flow every month. So we were getting a certain amount of cash flow from the real estate. And then so I ran the numbers with the store. I said, well, we could 
open the store, put a team in place. We could make this much money. And everything I was doing was basically saying, how do we add more money to what we're making a month with the goal of being able to replace our incomes so that we could leave our jobs and do this stuff full time. So the liquor store was really just one more way to add more money to us each month. Mm. Well, you have to run it well still because there are yes. surely wine and liquor store out there that are not turning a profit. <laughs> so uh, you were sure that you would be able to do that. We were sure we would be able to. And of course, we had a very nice wake up call with that as well, because anytime you're opening a brick and mortar store, you know, this was our first time doing anything like that. So we were learning as we went. And all of the calculations that we did and all of the things that we assumed would happen, they did happen, but it didn't happen as quickly as we had planned. So of course, again, this is something that we kind of didn't expect to learn as many lessons from, but we have learned very many. Yeah. Well, and this was, you know, you're talking about our book earlier. A big part of writing the book was not only giving people the path of how to get clear on their life, get their money in order, pay off debt, and then start a business. But it was also sharing our real life experiences along the way. So like I actually, in part of the book, I put <laughs> what we projected the liquor store to make the first year and then what it actually made. And like, I went from thinking we we're going to make all this money to like losing money the first yep. year. Yeah. So it's not to say that, that business is bad, but what we we're hoping to do is to show people that like, hey, you really have to know like the numbers and, and watch what you're doing because something that seems good on paper can very easily turn around and not be so good. Yeah. You had a number in mind. When did you decide that number? Was that before you even invested in the first real estate property? Yep. So we had a general idea of how much money we would need in order to really cover our lifestyle. It changed a little bit over time. Like for example, we, we went through a lot of calculations because when you both leave your jobs, you don't have health insurance anymore. So we realized that we had to actually increase that number to pay for our health insurance. Then we looked at it and said, well, but yeah, we're not paying for gas to commute to a job so we could decrease the number. So what we ended up doing over time was creating this calculation to understand what we call the freedom number, which is how much money your business needs to be paying you to allow you to leave that job. And what was the first number you came up with? That's I don't a even good remember. question. Before think, kids or after kids? Yeah, before, <laughs> I, I'm, just, I'm just curious because I'm sure the numbers also change because, you know, we oh, tend yeah. to make our lifestyle also better as we earn a bit more money. So maybe the first number was lower. Yeah, I was going to say, so thinking back, it was lower. I want to say it was like 3,500 to four grand. And yeah. then it ended up getting up to like 5,000. At one point, it was higher than that. Yeah, it was higher than that. And then what we ultimately did was we took a look at our lifestyle and said, we've inflated it as time has gone on. If we make a couple of these changes, we can lower that number and allow us to leave sooner. So a big challenge a lot of people have is that because they inflate that number, they end up continuing to chase trying to leave a job where oftentimes you can make one or two changes and ultimately give yourself years back. Yeah, yeah, we ultimately had two changes that helped us to shift that number a lot. One, um, I decided to sell my really nice car that we had purchased. I had an Explorer and it had like the leather seats and all the really nice extra stuff. But as we were looking at our life and, you know, looking at the freedom number, it was like, oh, that thing's really bumping up the freedom number a lot. So can we jump back down to a more affordable family car for a few years and get our freedom number where we need it to be? 
And then at some point in the future, I'll reinvest and get a nice car. And the second one was purely by age. Our children both were old enough to be in school. So we saved a ton of money on childcare, which is a very serious issue for a lot of people because it's really expensive to put your kids in full-time childcare. Yeah. So you had some point three and a half thousand to five thousand, the freedom number. And freedom number is basically the monthly income you want to have from your assets once you mm -hmm. have those assets. How much assets do you need to have for that? What, what's your calculation? I have heard some numbers from other people. Yeah, so it, it depends on how you're generating that revenue. So yes. for example, if you're purely looking at doing it with the stock market, the, the common advice is 25 times what your annual needs are. What we looked at was with real estate, how much money do we make per apartment or per property? And then just calculating out how many we need. With the wine and liquor store, it was then a different calculation because we make a different profit on there. So what we basically did was each business had a piece that it was going to contribute to that number. Mm, a and what's percentage. really cool, yeah, yeah, and, and and so what's really cool is that because we had multiple businesses, it does add some complexity, but it also then allowed us to move different levers. Like, hey, yeah. if we did this thing, this could add this much more to what we're doing monthly. Mm. So, okay, now you had real estate, you had wine and liquor store. This was not enough. <laughs> <laughs> Never is. Well, as we figured out, those were longer term businesses. Mm. So like at the beginnings, maybe you got a little bit of profit out of those. But as they age, we're going to try and get more and more and more. But as we just talked about, those only made up for a percentage of that freedom number that we were looking to find. So obviously, Tom was like, well, I don't want to wait, you know, the next 10 years to be able to leave my job based on the income from those businesses. Like, I want to leave sooner. So that is where business number three came into play. And again, surprisingly enough, we were pregnant again. Of course you were. Baby number two. Of course. Yeah. Well, and, and so I still had a job during this time. And so I ended up shifting from like being a software developer, a project manager into business consulting. So I was working with these Fortune 500 companies, helping them, uh, you know, with leadership and planning and, you know, team performance. And what ended up happening was we started having entrepreneurs looking at us saying like, hey, you guys have multiple businesses, you have two kids. Like, how do you make it all work? Because you don't physically work at your businesses. Mm -hmm. And so what we realized was we could take all of our experiences from our businesses plus my consulting and actually help entrepreneurs. And so we started that business to basically say, we're going to help entrepreneurs to plan their business and make sure they're building systems and putting a team in place so that they can scale. And so we did that. And along the way, what we found was we were helping people have success in business, but it wasn't necessarily improving their lives. And in some cases, they were actually like getting divorced because all their time was spent in the business. And so we had to go back and reevaluate. And what we found was that what we really wanted to do was help entrepreneurs build their business in support of their ideal lifestyle. Yeah. And so that was when we really shifted things and said, all right, we want to make sure that people first know, hey, Let's get aligned and figure out what our life looks like. Let's make sure we get our finances or pay off that, all the stuff we had to go through. And then we'll help people figure out what business model is right for them so that they can then generate this cash flow and leave their jobs as well. Mm. So basically your own story became what you taught the others, you know, getting the two of you aligned and what kind of <laughs> life do we want to have and let's build the business around it. Yeah. And what, what's kind of funny is like we had never planned to do this type of business, but as the demand came up and as we matched our skills with what people were asking for, like it just became a totally natural thing. Yeah. Yeah. So when did that consulting first start? Like how many years ago? 
like math. six. <laughs> so basically, um, my plan was I thought I was just going to stay in one job until we hit 35 and then I'd retire. What ended up happening was, you know, corporate politics came up and I basically realized that, you know, that wasn't where I wanted to be for the next several years. And I realized that I could get a lot of experience by being a consultant. So it ended up, unfortunately, taking me away from Ariana and the kids for like two years, but it gave me a ton of experience that then allowed us to really excel with the third business. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of the life stuff came into play for us too, is like we had figured out how to do the two businesses. We had one kid and then as life evolved and he started traveling and we now had two kids and one was an infant and the other is a toddler. And we're trying to run those two businesses while also doing life. A lot of what we developed into our lifestyle builders framework came from those times of like, how do we figure out how to do this without going crazy? Because all of these things together make so many complexities of parenting and being married and being business partners and having multiple businesses. It really helped us to get super clear on, hey, this stuff that we're doing isn't working. Like We need to figure out what's going to work for us. And we really had to shut out a lot of the noise and stop listening to everybody else who was trying to tell us, here's how you do this. Like, no, that doesn't work for us. We've got to figure out a different way. You had to figure out your own system. Yeah, exactly. So how did that third business contribute to the freedom number? A lot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it definitely really helped because part of it is understanding how big you can grow a business. So with our real estate business, Every time we wanted to grow and make more money, we had to then go and buy another property and manage that. With the wine and liquor store, like we can only have one store because of licensing. So there's only so big you can grow that store within an area. But with the consulting business, there was a lot more ways to not only help people, but to generate revenue. So we started out just with me doing like one-on-one coaching. And then once we developed a framework and different stuff, we realized that we could help more people with programs and with group coaching and then writing the book and we ended up launching our podcast. So we realized that that was a way that we could actually help a lot more people in a bigger way. But in terms of when you say a freedom number, you're thinking of like that's passive income. Like if you would stop working, you would still have that revenue. Is that the idea with the freedom number? So it, it first starts with just replacing your income. Mm-hmm. So, so getting your income from your businesses or stocks or whatever up. And then what we want to do is say, how do I continuously remove myself from being involved? So for example, with the wine and liquor store, at first we were working in the store and then we had to build systems and a team so that now like we haven't physically worked in the store in like five years because we have a team and a system in place. So we only spend a couple hours a month to manage and lead, like work on the business. And we make money from that. So now our quote unquote hourly rate is really high, but it didn't start out that way. We had to build that up over time. Yeah. And the same with the real estate business, you were more involved in renovating and everything and now less. But when it comes to the coaching consulting, because I guess that's where my audience, those who are listening, Mm -hmm. are already Mm -hmm. doing that. And they're like, well, how does that work with my freedom number? Because if I remove myself from that business, well, that's not generating revenue. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so two things. One, as you're solving bigger problems for your clients, you can charge more. So for some people, they just want to be a really highly paid consultant. They don't want to build a business, but they know that they can work 20 hours a week or whatever that is, make a certain amount of money and be okay. 
right? For other people, what we want to do is basically say, how do I build this business so it can run day to day without me? And so, for example, if you're a coach, a consultant, a service provider, that is coming up with your method or your framework Mm -hmm. and creating the materials and putting the systems and potentially a team in place so that you're removing yourself from the day to day and you're able to work on the business. And that's where a lot of people get stuck is that they feel like they, they're the only one that can do everything and they're not focusing on a system and a team and consistently saying, what can I get off of my plate so that I'm more working on the business, not in it. Hmm. Yeah. So, and a lot of that's come with us shifting our business model too, because there's two of us. So that helps. But looking at like, okay, so we've got the private coaching and now how do we build out some of the things that are below that? So where are people in their journey and what things are they going to need before they're ready for private coaching? So we talk about a group program. You can help a lot more people. You can charge more, but there's actually less of your time involved because you're only meeting for those group calls and you have all the training put together. There's a lot of people that do a DIY course for people that are early on in their journey. They're maybe not ready yet for those upper level things, but the more you get out there and the more people find you, the more people you can kind of take along that journey and they're buying into some of your other products or programs before they're taking more of your time and getting into something like your coaching or your consulting. So it's really about if you are a service provider, how can you start to bring people into your world and help them earlier so that you're kind of moving them along that path to eventually want to be able to work with you one-on-one. But at that point in time, you're going to be charging more for your time for your one-on-one services. And you're also getting more people that are buying into some of those lower level programs that you aren't as involved in. And it's kind of running without you. Hmm. So you achieved your goal. Financially Yay. free by 35. How did that feel? It felt pretty cool because our book actually released the day after my 35th birthday. How brilliant timing. I know. They said yeah. the date and I was like, yep, do that one. Pick, <laughs> pick that one. <laughs> well, and you know, like, so a lot of people, like one of the criticisms we've heard from people is like, you know, you guys are so focused on money. And ironically, that couldn't be further from the truth because the goal, even though we're talking about money, the goal was never about money. The goal is what can you then do when you don't have to work for a company? And so like I've had people say like, Tom, you're not retired, even Mm. though that was your goal. And when we say retire, what that really means is have the options to choose what you want to do. So I had a mentor a couple of years ago say, Tom, quit saying you're going to retire because I I know you, you're never going to stop working and you're never going to stop helping people, but you want the ability to choose when and how you do that. And so years ago, I was doing that by getting on a plane early Monday morning, flying to another city, not seeing my family all week and coming back. These days, I get to do that virtually. 95% of the work I do is remote and we get to help a lot more people while not having to travel and while being there for my family. So, so what it really comes down to is what we started this conversation with is what do you want your life to look like? How do you want to be spending your time? And then figuring out how you generate income so that you can spend more of your time doing that. Yeah. And I think the money part is simply because it's a very easy, it's a measurable thing. So when you're looking at your goals and the lifestyle that you want to have, we don't focus on the money because we're obsessed with it, but rather because it's very easy to measure, hey, these are the things that we've said we want in our life and we want to do with our kids. 
the way to figure out how to do that is to say, well, we know it costs that much. So we know our business has to make that much money. It's just a very simple calculation to be able to do and to be able to then set goals for those things. Yeah, absolutely. I said, it's never about the money because if you're focused purely on money, you actually can't make it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and that's such a huge lesson that it's hard early on when like what we found is most people early on just want to take care of their family. I just want to make enough money to do that. And it ends up taking a long time, not because it's difficult to make money, but most of the mindsets we have are actually preventing that. And then what you end up finding is once you have yourself taken care of and you're no longer so focused on money, but you shift to focusing on helping other people, money actually tends to come in a lot easier because we're not blocking ourselves from it. So now your book is out and I assume already it's a bestseller. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you are touring, you are coming on shows. Well, when I saw the book was coming out, I already contacted you months ago and then we, we timed it uh, around this time. Uh, how do people find you? What is the best way beyond buying the book? Obviously, it's called Lifestyle Builders, so everyone should get it. I loved <laughs> it. But beyond that, how do people find you online? Yeah, so you can find us online at wearelifestylebuilders.com. Um, so our podcast's on there, the book's on there. And then everywhere on social media, you can find us at Tom and Ariana. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Tom and Ariana. It's been a pleasure. And I wish you best of luck with your new book. Thanks so much for having us. Early bird tickets for the Selfmade Summit are now available. Super early bird tickets sold out in 48 hours. You can grab your early bird ticket right now. Go to the show notes at signal.com forward slash 350, where you can find out more about the Selfmade Summit and secure your early bird ticket, plus all the links to Tom and Ariana Sylvester. Thank you for listening to The Sigrun Show. Did you enjoy this episode? Let me know that you listened by tagging me in your Insta story or Instagram post using my handle Sigrun.com and the hashtag Sigrun Show. I'll see you in the next episode.